we, we had to just hang in there. We had to hang in there. Um, I thought we got off to a start that, you know, our energy wasn't great in the first quarter, but we hung in. You know, we hung in, we were okay. We went to the bench, I thought the bench gave us a great lift, but man, it was just so many people that played well in the game. You know, I thought DA, man in the paint with the rebounds, six offensive rebounds was a really big deal. Um, giving them one shot was important for us. Obviously, Ant got going, you know, in the second half. I thought Tease's minutes were a big deal. Tease was, he was incredible in his minutes. He shot it well, but his defense, he was all over the place, just being Tease. Scoop, his lift he gave us was a big deal, you know. Um, and then Jeremy, shit, shot was incredible that he hit, but he had a career high in assist today. So, so many great efforts, you know, and I'm just proud of our guys, you know, um, coming off of that tough loss last night, coming in here playing against a really gritty, really good defensive team that's gonna climb into your shorts, you know. Um, we hung in there. Hey, Rip City, this is Matisse Seidel, and it's time to open the briefcase with Casey Holdall. Greetings, Blazer fans, and welcome to The Briefcase, episode 76 of The Briefcase. I am your host, Casey Holdall, and that was Chauncey Billups discussing Portland's 137-131 overtime victory versus the Rockets Wednesday night in Houston, the third game of a four-game road trip for your Portland Trailblazers. Blazers, once again, going down early. We're down by as many as 13 points, very similar to the game the night before versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Blazers able to rally back, have a great third quarter behind 16 points from Anthony Simons. Jeremy Grant hits a three-point shot as time expires to send the game to overtime. The Blazers pull away in overtime to get their first win of the road trip. Probably should have been their second win of the road trip, or at least should have been their second real attempt at a win on the road trip. We're not able to get the win the night before in OKC. They did get the one in Houston the next night. A very nice win, a team win for the Trailblazers, even though Jeremy Grant did take the headline by hitting that big shot to send the game to overtime. We'll discuss Wednesday's win, Tuesday night's travesty, Jeremy Grant's late-game heroics, the remix going on a winning streak, check in on the offensive and defensive ratings, and discuss how well your Portland Trailblazers have done versus the spread lately on this edition of The Briefcase. As I mentioned, Wednesday night, Toyota Center in Houston, Portland Trailblazers 137, Houston Rockets 131, a very entertaining game. Trailblazers coming off a very difficult loss the night before versus the Thunder, which we'll talk about here in half a second. I'm sure you've probably talked about it enough. I'm sure you've thought about it enough. I have too, but we've got to talk about it on this podcast. Trailblazers going to Houston after that rough game in Oklahoma City. Get off to a bit of a rough start. As Chauncey Bills mentioned, the energy to start that game for the Trailblazers, not what you'd want to see in that game, but they're able to come back out, kind of steady themselves in the second quarter. And then in the third quarter, they really took control of the game. As I mentioned, Anthony Simons, who had been quiet for much of the trip, and a guy who still is, I think, I think he's still feeling the effects of whatever illness he had. It just seems to me that he's just been a little low energy lately. Not that Ant is ever a guy who's really like out there and in your face, but he just hasn't necessarily had the same kind of enthusiasm, but in the third quarter, really got going versus the Houston Rockets. Six of eight from the field, three of five from three for 16 points, three rebounds, and three assists to lead the Trailblazers in that third quarter, outscore the Rockets 41 to 33 in the third quarter to take the lead 
going into the fourth quarter. The Rockets end up taking a small lead, I think a four-point lead. Ant has back-to-back turnovers that lead to -to back-to-back dunks for the Rockets. And at that point in time, you're thinking to yourself, this one's probably not going to go our way. Blazers do end up getting a huge shot from Malcolm Brogdon, a corner three, to cut the deficit to one. Blazers have to foul on the ensuing possession, but it's their first foul in the last two minutes, so they have to burn about a half second fouling, and then they have to foul again to send Aaron Holiday to the line. He makes both those shots. Three-point game, 1.2 seconds left. Malcolm Brogdon on the inbound. They bring in Boban specifically for the purpose of defending the inbound. I think Boban, that was the only minutes that he played in that game. Boban played exactly one second in that game, actually a little bit more than one second, but that's about it. And he was only brought in to defend the inbound. So Malcolm Brogdon at about 6'2", 6'3", lofting a ball over Boban Minjarkovic. Sorry, Boban, if I said your name wrong. You're just Boban at this point, though. So you're, you're a one-name guy. That's, that's how elite you are. Gets the pass over Boban. Jeremy Grant has Fred Van Vliet defending him, also gets a pass over Van Vliet. Van Vliet kind of tries to get in Jeremy's way, decides he's just going to hold up. He's not going to chance the foul. Jeremy able to take one dribble as he's fading away to his right, cans the three-pointer as time's expiring to send the game to overtime. The Trailblazers, with all the momentum at that point, go out in the overtime, I think outscore the Rockets 9-2 in the first 245 of overtime to take control of the game, their largest lead of the game in overtime. Blazers go on, take that game going away to get, again, their first win of the road trip, their second road win of 2024, and just a really great team win. You had DeAndre Ayton had one of his better games since returning, double-double, 18 points, 17 rebounds to go with three assists and a steal in 40 minutes. Anthony Simons, doing all that work in the third quarter, ends up with 33 points for the game, six rebounds, five assists. And even though he had some of those turnovers late, didn't let them affect his game, was able to come out and still play well in that overtime to help the Blazers get that victory. Malcolm Brogdon, 19 points on 8 of 19 shooting, 6 assists, 2 rebounds in 41 minutes. Matisse Thibel having an absolute monster game defensively, a couple huge steals in that game, ended up with 3 steals for the game. He had consecutive steals that really kept the Rockets from pushing their lead forward. Matisse ends up with 13 points on 5 of 7 shooting from the field, 3 of 4 shooting from 3, 4 rebounds, as I mentioned, 3 steals, and an assist in 22 minutes, 13 points, 3 assists, four rebounds in 22 minutes. That has some incredibly efficient work from Matisse Thibel. Scoot Henderson, a very nice game as well. 23 minutes, 11 points, three assists. And then obviously you had Jeremy Grant hitting the shot that sends the game to overtime. Just went five of 12 from the field and two of five from three, but he did go nine of 11 from the free throw line. Jeremy doing a good job lately of getting to the free throw line. A career high, nine assists for Jeremy. And I think that was a really interesting thing that Chauncey Billups had said in his post game was that when we have guys sharing the ball, everything else seems to go well too. What he was implying there is that a guy like Jeremy with nine assists, good things are going to happen when you're sharing the ball like that. So for Jeremy to hit a shot that sends the game to overtime while also putting up a career high in assists with nine, that's a nice game for Jeremy Grant, who I think now that he has been paired up with Jabari Walker in that starting lineup, I think we're just seeing a little bit something extra offensively from Jeremy. He's taking some of the pressure off of Jeremy in terms of having to defend larger players and having to rebound more. When you got Jabari out there, he takes on some of that responsibility. I think that's worked really well for Jeremy. That's one of the reasons why. I think we've seen Jeremy's numbers tick up just a little bit since Chauncey made that change to the starting lineup. So Jeremy Grant hitting, obviously, that enormous shot 
to send that game to overtime to really give the Blazers a chance to win that game. And that's something that Jeremy's actually started to do more and more as he's gotten older and older in his career. I believe people might recall last year, he had the game winner in Phoenix. He also had a game winning layup versus the Lakers in Los Angeles. And then he hits a shot to tie the game versus the Rockets in Houston. He doesn't always make them and no player does. He did have a game winner attempt earlier this season at Moda Center that did not go in. But generally, Jeremy Grant, one of those guys who, as you're going to hear him say here in a moment, he's not afraid to take those shots and he's not afraid to make those shots. But really more what he's saying is he's not afraid to miss those shots. And if you're going to be a player who's going to have the ball in their hands late in games, you have to be comfortable with the notion that sometimes you are not going to make the play. It's not always going to happen for you. And having the courage and the confidence to know that and still go out and perform nonetheless, that's one of the things that makes you a closer in the NBA. Jeremy Grant is one of those guys, a guy who is confident in his skills, knows what he can do, can get a shot off in multiple attempts, a guy who's always able to keep the defenders on their heels, which is something we saw in that Rockets game, one of the reasons why he was able to get that shot off and get a very clean look at that shot to send that game to overtime is because he's got the profile of a guy who you know is going to go around you or can get around you or can get to the side of you when he wants to do that. And so to have Jeremy go out and do that in the Rockets game, even when you have a guy in Anthony Simons, who's also a great closer, says something a whole lot about Jeremy and says something a whole lot about the way this team shares the ball as well. The play that got Jeremy the three-pointer versus the Rockets on Wednesday night to send the game to overtime, he was actually the second option there, Anthony Simons being the first option. But when you have a guy who other teams know is your number one option, you need to have a guy who is a great number two option. And that is what Jeremy Grant is, along with Anthony Simons. The two of those guys together, you feel very confident about their ability to perform late in games. And by having two, you take the pressure off one of those guys. So if you only had Anthony Simons, if you were only deciding, hey, we need to get the ball to Anthony here, he's most likely going to have to jack up an incredibly difficult shot, probably with two guys in his face. We've seen players in Portland be able to do that. The elite guys can, but if you can make it easier on yourself by having a secondary guy who can hit those shots as well, you're probably much better off. Trailblazers is much better off with having both Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant as options when they need late game scoring. We saw that Wednesday night in Houston. Well, real quick, let's go ahead and hear what Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, and Chauncey Billups had to say about Jeremy Grant's game winner after the win versus the Rockets on Wednesday night. Uh, yeah, I think um, we went out to the court. We had a play drawn up. Uh, they ended up going zone, trying to um, stop us from getting to the corner. Um, so I had to just go to the open spot. I seen the open spot. Uh, I held off uh, somebody and, uh, you know, just let the shot go. Kind of a tough pass for Malcolm to even get it to you there. Tough catch, it seemed like, as well. So you were to be able to collect and then go up with, like, two seconds on the clock. Fairly impressive, Jeremy. Uh, definitely. I mean, I know Malcolm, he knows exactly where to deliver the ball. Um, we have really good chemistry in the short time we've been playing together. Um, so I know he's going to deliver it, and uh, all I got to do is uh, get my feet under me and uh, get the shot out. You've kind of made a habit of hitting those shots over the last couple of years. You've got a couple of winners. You've got a couple ones that's into overtime. Like, it seems like it's, that's kind of your one of your profiles now. Uh, definitely. I'm definitely not scared to take the shot. Um, you know, if they need me to take it, I will. Uh, if not, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever. So um, definitely not scared to take it. Um, definitely not scared to make it. Uh, particularly after the game last night, the way it went to have a game like this where you're kind of in a somewhat similar situation and able to pull it out. I mean, I think it's probably always good to get a win, but it feels like maybe it might be a little extra nice to get this one. Uh, definitely. It was definitely a tough one, um, especially on the back-to-back. Um, tough game that, you know, that we lost yesterday. Um, but we lost it. Uh, but this just shows our resiliency to come back tonight and, uh, and uh, get a win uh, in a close game like this. Uh, what do you think of Jeremy's shot to send it to OT? 
Yeah, I, I kind of had a feeling it was going in. I, thought, I was like, I was like, hopefully he get a clean look. He was able to get a kind of a clean look. For Jeremy, it's a clean look, you know what I mean, because he's so tall. But, um, you know, just relieved. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go out like this again. You know what I mean? Close game. And so when we got the OT, I was like, yes. I'm like, we're going we gonna to get this win. You know what I mean? I was I got, I felt good then after that. Yeah, he was the second option. What I, what I would say is great players make coaches look good, man. <laughs> you know, uh, he had a heck of a shot. Um, it was a good pass by Malcolm. Um, he had pretty much a mismatch. He had a smaller guy on him. He just rose up and, and knocked it down. You know, he gets all the credit on that. While winning that game in Houston, particularly the way they won it, would have been exciting no matter what. The fact that they were able to win that game on the second out of a back-to-back after having a dispiriting loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder, 111-109, really says something about this team's ability to bounce back, the way that Chauncey has his team ready to play on a night-to-night basis. I'm sure you know this if you're listening to this podcast, but just in case you don't, the Trailblazers getting kind of screwed in that game versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Late game situation, five seconds to play, Malcolm Brogdon dribbling the ball up, gets double teamed, gets stuck between the half court line and the end line, and two Thunder defenders tries to call timeout. Chauncey Billups is screaming for a timeout, does not get the timeout, instead gets called for a double dribble. Chauncey Billups, understandably, is upset about this, goes to the middle of the court, makes some contact with the referee, gets a technical for that. And then a second technical comes pretty quickly after that for what they said was following the referee. Thunder end up getting two free throws in that situation, go one of two and get the ball in next possession. Jalen Williams hits a tough mid-range jumper to put the Thunder up. Blazers down to less than a second to play. Basically have to lob the ball up at the rim. Ball gets intercepted. Game over. Blazers were able to fight back in that game. Again, down 13 points in the first half. Looked like they might be on their way to another blowout after getting absolutely thumped by the Thunder by 62 points about 11 days ago in the prior meeting. They come back, have a great game, shake off a tough start, get production from up and down the roster. Scoot Henderson, one of his best games, 19 points, 7 assists in 25 minutes, 18 points, 7 assists for Malcolm Brogdon. 18 points, 5 rebounds for Jeremy Grant, 14 points, 13 rebounds for Jabari Walker, who had a heck of a game in that one as well. Another solid game for Duop Reith, 10 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, and a block in 20 minutes. But the Blazers never able to really get an attempt at a shot late in that game. We're up by 1, we're up by 1, get called for multiple technicals, end up losing that game. And, you know, that's one of those things where you're never always going to get the benefit of the doubt in terms of officiating. But generally, in those situations, the referees know that teams are going to be calling timeouts. They want to call timeouts when it's late games. Blazers had two timeouts remaining. That's a situation where if you're not looking to the bench to see whether or not the coaching staff is trying to call timeout, you probably should be doing that because in that situation, granted, you do need to pay attention to the play. And that's what Bill Kennedy said when he was asked about it after the fact was that the official had to be paying attention to the play. They couldn't look to the bench to see if Chauncey Billups was calling timeout. I believe Malcolm Brogdon was calling timeout as well. It's over. It's done. Blazers were going to file a protest. I'm not entirely sure if they decided to do that. If for no other reason, those protests almost never actually end up resulting in anything. So I don't know that actually they are going to end up filing that protest, but they didn't really get a fair shake at the end of that game. And that's disappointing because they played especially well. And I think that's what was most disappointing for Chauncey Billups is not necessarily that they lost that game, was that they lost that game in the way they lost that game after the way that they lost 10 days prior by 62 points. 
So what I'm saying there is if they had lost by 10 points in the previous game to Oklahoma City, you obviously still don't feel very good about the way the game played out in the second meeting. But I think you feel especially bad about it considering how poorly you played in the first game and how well you played in the second game. And then to not really have a chance to go out there and win that game, to feel like that game was taken from you, not necessarily that you were beaten in that game. I think that's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. We're moving on from it. It's one game. I know a lot of people have pointed out that the Blazers not necessarily super focused on winning games this year, at least in terms of making the playoffs anyways. So why do you care? And I think that's instructive. The reason why you care is because you're out here to win. And while I know that you look at the team and you see their record and you assume that, well, these guys maybe don't care or maybe that winning isn't necessarily the end-all be-all, which it isn't. But on a game-to-game basis, these guys want to win. The coaching staff wants to win. The players want to win. And so anytime that a situation occurs in which they don't feel like they do have a chance to win, that's going to be incredibly bothersome for them, even if, as an organization, we know that this season is more about development and growth than it is about wins and losses. But still, you never feel good when you feel like you didn't get a fair shake. And I don't think the Blazers necessarily felt like they got a fair shake from the officials at the end of that game. Moving on in some quick roster news, Trailblazers signed Taze Moore to a 10-day contract this week. Blazers had to get to 14 players after waiving both Ish Wayne Wright and Skylar Mays, who we actually saw in Los Angeles, by the way. Shout out to you, Skylar. Looks like you're doing great. Hoping all the best things for you down there in Los Angeles. And while I'm sure they would feel comfortable enough having Taze in games, really more of a situation there where I think they're keeping that roster spot open because trade deadline is a few weeks away. And in order to give themselves some flexibility, in order to not necessarily lock them into contracts that they might end up having to cut, if they do make a deal, you sign some guys to a 10-day. I imagine they'll probably get another 10-day or someone else will get another 10-day before the trade deadline. And then at that point, after the deadline, if the players make a move, they'll still have a few roster spots open to where they can take back more players than they send out if they decide to go that direction. If they don't end up making a move or if they don't actually take in more players than they send out, then I think at that point, you probably start to look at guys like Duop Reith. I imagine at that point, once they are past the trade deadline, perhaps Duop gets a full contract rather than the two-way contract that he's on right now. But that's still a few more weeks away. Not a whole lot of rumbling about the Trailblazers at the trade deadline so far. Granted, a lot of that stuff usually comes together at the very end. Blazers do have some players that teams are obviously going to be interested in. I just don't know how interested the Blazers are in trading those guys as of right now. Obviously, if a team offers up a good deal, I imagine they will take it. But the idea that they're going to trade some of these guys for players on the last years of their deals or expiring contracts and second round picks, I don't really think that's where the Trailblazers are at right now in terms of the deals that they want to make in order to improve their team. Cap space, while it's nice, is not something that's necessarily been super helpful for the Trailblazers. So bringing back expiring contracts is one of those things where it's like, yeah, it couldn't hurt, I guess, but it's not like they're going to go out there necessarily and sign players with that space. They have things like extensions that haven't even used this season to sign players. So the idea that they're going to go out with cap space and do that, at least anytime in the next couple seasons, I think is pretty unlikely. Second round picks, while useful, I think you see what some of the other players around the league are bringing back. You look at some of the players that Portland has that other teams are interested in. Second round picks, I don't think that's getting it done, folks, because one, their talent requires that they get back good players. And two, I just don't think the players are in any rush right now to make a whole lot of moves. As mentioned, it's really more about getting better and improving this season. And so the idea being that if they still have guys who are under contract for multiple seasons, they're not necessarily going to get pushed into a deal just because. It's got to be something that makes sense for them. And from the things that I've seen reported, not a whole lot of stuff makes a ton of sense right now. But again, two things there. One, the stuff that gets reported is usually long dead. And two, 
there just really hasn't been that much buzz about the Trailblazers at the trade deadline so far anyway. So that's still a couple weeks away. Once again, Taze Moore signing a 10-day. I imagine there'll be at least one more 10-day. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up getting it. After the trade deadline, maybe they lock a few guys in or they bring in some guys with those empty roster spots. Speaking of Taze, who was playing for the Rip City Remix, your Rip City Remix winners of five in a row, including the last two games versus the G League Ignite, which is where they put all the players who are playing on being one and done guys, Scoot Henderson playing for the G League Ignite last year, obviously. But even though the Ignite might get the headlines, the Remix got the wins. As I mentioned, winners of their last five, defeating the Mexico City Capitans 118-110 back on Jan 7th, defeating the Oklahoma City Blue in back-to-back games 99-95 on the 14th and 127-119 on January 15th, following that up, as I mentioned, with two victories versus the G League Ignite in back-to-back games 118-95 on January 22nd, and then in the rematch 110-102 on January 24th. I would tell you to go up and check out the remix as soon as you can while they're on this win streak, but they are going to be out of town for the rest of January, January 26th, playing the Rio Grande Valley Vipers in Edinburgh, Texas. They play another game versus Rio Grande the next day on the 27th, and then they head to Salt Lake City, or excuse me, West Valley City, Utah, to play the Salt Lake City Stars on January 30th, before finally returning home to host the South Bay Lakers on February 2nd, 7 o'clock start time for that one. So next time you can see... The Rip City Remix in person, Friday, February 2nd, versus the South Bay Lakers up at University of Portland. Go check them out. They'll only be back for one game before heading back out on the road to face the Motor City Crews and then back-to-back games versus the Sioux Falls Sky Force. So if you want to check out the Rip City Remix in person, you want to get some hand fruit, you want to shoot for that February 2nd game versus the Lakers, 7 o'clock start time, University of Portland, Child Center, check them out. All right, since we didn't check in the last episode of the briefcase, let's go ahead and see where the Blazers are at in terms of their offensive and defensive rating this season. Your Portland Trail Blazers 29th in offensive rating at 108.2 points scored per 100 possessions, which is ahead of only Memphis and is behind of San Antonio, Portland's next opponent, by the way. Blazers are also 22nd in defensive rating now at 117.5 points allowed per 100 possessions, which is slightly ahead of the Utah Jazz and slightly behind the Dallas Mavericks. Blazers net rating of minus nine ranks 27th, which is ahead of San Antonio and behind the Wizards. All of those are slightly worse than the last time we checked in. Blazers' offensive rating has been towards the bottom of the league for most of the season. Their defensive rating, though, was average for much of the season, but they've been slowly, slowly, slowly dropping further and further down in defensive rating. Hopefully that's something they can get turned around here soon. It seems like the offense is starting to flow a little bit better. It's going to take some time, though, to see any improvement in that offensive rating. But you would hope, if nothing else, that maybe they can get that defensive rating back up to late teams, Obviously, league average would be fantastic. Now that most of the roster is healthy, the guys who are basically going to be out there outside of Shaden Sharp are going to be out there. So hopefully when you get Shaden back, he's being reevaluated in about another week. At that point in time, we have everyone available on the roster for the first time this season, or at least hopefully for the first time this season. And then at that point, maybe you start making some progress on your offensive rating, but the defensive rating should be better than it is now. Hopefully that turns around here sometime soon. And last but certainly not least, in terms of betting on your Portland Trailblazers, the Blazers doing quite well versus the spread as of late, have won five of their last six games versus the spread. They covered as 14-point underdogs versus the Suns, as five-point underdogs versus the Nets, as eight-point underdogs versus the Pacers. They won both the Nets and the Pacer game, by the way. They didn't cover as 11.5-point underdogs to the Lakers on the first game of this trip, but they did cover as 14-point underdogs to the Thunder and 10-point underdogs to the Rockets. 
which I'm pretty surprised that, that was 10, by the way, particularly with Portland winning that game. So if you've just been taking the Trailblazers versus the spread, you've done quite well, having won five of their last six games versus the spread. By the way, they are two-point underdogs versus San Antonio for Friday's game, a 6.30 start time Portland time, an 8.30 start time San Antonio time. As someone who's in San Antonio for that game, I do not understand why it's an 8.30 start time that is so late to start a basketball game locally. Granted, it is on a weekend, or at least on a Friday, so hopefully people will turn out for that anyways. I think it's like rivalry day or rivalry week in the NBA. I don't know exactly what rivalry the Blazers have versus the Spurs, other than the time that they put a snake in our locker room. But uh, whatever. We'll play the game on Friday, 6.30 start time on Root Sports and 6.20 a.m. As I mentioned, Trailblazers two-point underdogs in that one. They have covered in five of their last six games. And that is going to do it for this edition of The Briefcase. Trailblazers wrapping up a four-game road trip on Friday, as I mentioned, versus the Spurs in San Antonio, 6.30 start time. Upcoming schedule, Trailblazers after their turn back from the road trip. Trailblazers with a back-to-back versus the Bulls and the Sixers on Sunday and Monday, Tuesday off before hosting Damian Lillard and the Milwaukee Bucks Wednesday, January 31st. We'll talk more about that game on the next edition of The Briefcase. Then they head out for two straight versus the Nuggets in Denver, Friday, February 22nd, Sunday, February 4th. But we'll talk to you before that. Thank you so much for joining me, as always, on this edition of The Briefcase. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. to not only The Briefcase, but The Blazers Balcony and Section 113. Go to trailblazers.com slash podcast for all the information on where you can subscribe to all of our podcasts. We'll talk to you soon. Go Blazers.